Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Hey, I'm really excited. I introduced you to one of our, our newest staff members a couple weeks ago via video, um, but they are here and they're part of our team now. And so I want, to, I want to introduce to you our newest team member. Uh, it's Pastor Ricky Ingram. So come on up, Pastor Ricky. How you doing, man? Good, good, good. It's great to see you. Hello, Summit family. Hello, Balcony. How you guys doing up there? <laughs> they, don't, awesome. they don't get a whole lot of love. Sometimes I give them a hard time for sitting in the balcony, yeah. but... Uh, Ricky's giving him a shout out. It's great to see you, man. I'm so glad you're here. Yes, I'm happy to be here. My wife, she'll be in second service. She's home with the girls right now and getting them ready. Um, but we are excited to be here, and um, we're, we're loving um, Indiana, PA right now. Um, we took a drive downtown. We love seeing the college students walking around, so it was great. Yeah, um, these guys have come to us from um, Ormond Beach, Florida, which... Um, Indiana, I, I, PA is almost exactly the same. Of what, yeah, Beach. I, 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 hear, I hear some giggles out there like, <laughs> like Florida. No, hey, uh, we didn't talk about this last night. There might be people here that are going, why in the world would you move from Mormon Beach? Because they were part of a very large church there. Uh, they were associate youth pastors of a church of over 3,000 there. Yeah. And so there might be some people going, um, did Mel lie to you or trick you? or why? So what brought you guys to Summit? Well, what brought us here is, um, you know, over the past year, God put a tug in my heart, was ready, um, was ready to transition me. So I was praying and praying. Me and my wife, we prayed every night, and um, God made it real to us. And um, we were talking. I was talking to uh, actually a good friend of mine, Pastor Mel's best friend, and we, I didn't even know that he was friends with Pastor Kyle Hammond. You guys probably know him. He came up here and preached a lot. And I was just sharing my heart with him. And... Um, I shared my heart with him, and he called Pastor Mel. I get a phone call from Pastor Mel, and I'm just like, it's an Oklahoma City number. I was like, who is this? So I answered it. I talked to Pastor Mel. Me and Pastor Mel was on the phone for about an hour, and I'm never on the phone with a, a guy for more than about 10 minutes. So, it, so I knew that God was working. He was doing something right then and there. And um, I, I talked with my wife, and um, we had a, a Skype video with Pastor Mel and Miss Kim, and, you know, and everything was great, you know, from the time we flew up here. Um, you guys were loving on us. We didn't even know you guys. And you guys were just hugging us. And someone whispered in my ear and said, you know what? You're going to be back here. I was just like, okay. So um, the last night we were in the hotel, me and my wife, we were laying there. I looked at her and I said, we're moving to Indiana, PA, aren't we? And she looked at me and she said, ah, <laughs> you know. She's and, not even here to defend she, herself. She's not. She, <laughs> she, she looked at me and said, ah, because you know why? You know why she said that? She said that in a great way because everything that she's been praying for, everything she's been fasting for, I'm sorry, I'm about to get emotional. This church has it. Yeah. And we know that God is up to something big here. And uh, we're excited to be a part of an awesome staff. Pastor Mel and Ms. Kim, we honor you and the vision you have for this house. So we're excited to be a part of this. Well, we're really excited to have you here, too. Um, I told Ricky, I said, hey, you're part of our pastor appreciation during the month of May. And I said, unfortunately, not very many people know you. So you, you know, <laughs> but you're going to be part of it. So anyway, we love these guys. We're so glad they're here. We know that God has brought them to us. So please do me a favor and get to know these guys. Um, take them out to dinner one night. Get to know Danielle and the kids. They really are fantastic. And we're, yes. we're honored to have you guys. We're excited. So thank awesome. you again, Ricky. Give this guy a round of applause as he's seated today. God 
God is up to something at Summit Church. I like that. I didn't realize that. Um, hey, I want to jump right into our message today. Um, we are continuing a series called God of the Comeback. It's a series that we started back on Easter Sunday, and we are uh, continuing that series today. Um, I've really enjoyed the last few weeks. Uh, between Easter Sunday and then the weekend we had with Frank Reich, and then this last weekend, uh, we've seen over 50 people uh, make decisions to make Jesus Lord of their life uh, over the last three weeks, and that's so exciting. And that's, that's why we do what we do. That's what it's really all about for us. And so I was really excited. Last weekend was such a fun weekend. Um, baptisms and uh, EJ Nieves was with us in live painting. Uh, if you missed any of that, his, uh, his art pieces are out in the lobby, uh, in the newer part of the lobby over by the, the bars over there. So stop by there and take a look at that. Um, but, um, but man, last week was a great weekend. I was really excited. We had more people make decisions, decisions for Christ last weekend than we did on Easter weekend. And we had about uh, two-thirds the amount of people show up. And that is, again, that's why we do it, is because we want to see people... Um, Come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and grow in their faith. And so it's really exciting to see what God is doing, and, and I'm so glad you're a part of it. Um, when we talked a few weeks ago, we talked about the comeback, and, and all of us love a comeback. We like a good comeback. We like the underdogs. Um, we like seeing an improbable story. Whether it's in sports or your Hallmark movie, we like it. We just do. And one of the Elements of a good comeback is a deficit. There's got to be a big deficit between what you have and what you need. Um, and if there's not a deficit, it's probably not a good comeback. It's, it could be a comeback still, but the bigger the deficit, the bigger the comeback and the more exciting the comeback. Uh, the odds have to be long. The odds have to be against you in order for your comeback to be truly memorable and for it to be a great comeback. Um, and so you might be in a situation today where you go, I've got some long odds in my life. Guess what? You're set up for a great comeback. And then the last thing is the stakes. It has to matter. The outcome has to matter because if it doesn't, it's not really a great comeback. And so you might be here today and you might be thinking, well, I need a comeback in my life. Maybe you need a comeback in your marriage. Uh, maybe there's a big deficit between the state of your marriage and what you'd like your marriage to look like. Uh, maybe it looks totally improbable that you're gonna have a comeback. But I'm here to tell you today, the stakes are high. It's important for you and for your family and for generations to come that, that you see a comeback. And so I'm telling you today, you're in perfect position to experience God's comeback in your life. And it doesn't feel like it because it feels like you're way behind. It feels like you'll never catch up. But I am telling you today, with God, all things are possible. Today we're going to look at a story, um, and we don't have time to truly explore it the way I would like to, but it is a fantastic story. Uh, in the Old Testament, there uh, is a patriarch of the faith that maybe you've heard of. His name is Abraham. And Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had uh, 12 sons, and they were the tribes of Israel. Jacob's name was changed later to Israel, um, and, and he had 12 sons, and his youngest son was a guy named Joseph, and uh, Joseph was the baby of the family, I'm the baby of my family, and how many of you know that the baby of the family sometimes get treated a little different? Does anybody know that? <laughs> There's a lot of bitter hands that just went up. Like, yeah, I know. I've experienced it. 
Uh, my sister always said that I got treated better because I was the baby, and I was like, well, yeah, I'm five years younger. By the time mom and dad got to me, they had, had a little more money saved up. Like, they could afford to buy me a little nicer car than you got for, for when you were 16. And so I just thought, well, it's because I'm handsome and funny and charming, and of course I would get better treatment, right? But it wasn't the case. Sometimes the babies just get better treatment. But sometimes, maybe the baby is the favorite. And that was not the case in my family. Um, at least that's what I tell my sister. But, um, but it is the case sometimes. And parents don't want to admit that, that we have favorites. But I'll be honest with you. I got my daughter, my oldest daughter, Abby, sitting on the front row. And I do have a favorite. Some days it's Abby. Some days it's Emma. It depends on what's going on. Uh, and some days, you know, I, I understand why polar bears eat their young, right? Like... <laughs> But if you look at the story in the book of Genesis, um, this guy, Jacob, or Israel, he's got these kids, these 12 kids, and, and Joseph was born in his old age. But it says in Genesis chapter 37, we'll pick it up in verse 3, it says, Now Israel, or, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. So Jacob had him at an old age, and so he was a gift, he felt like. And he said, and he made him a robe of many colors. And so you've heard, maybe heard the story of Joseph in the coat of many colors. This is that Joseph. <clears throat> and it said, and when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now this is important because when they saw their affection, uh, the affection of the father for their brother, I don't think the father ever said, hey, this, this son is my favorite. But when they saw his affection for them and the way he showed Joseph love, they were bitter, they were jealous, and they hated Joseph because of it. Joseph hadn't done anything wrong, and Scripture doesn't indicate that. But they saw what was going on, and they didn't like it. They were bitter, they were angry, and they were jealous. And it says that they hated him. In fact, they hated him so much, they couldn't even fake how much they hated him. They couldn't have a peaceful word with him. That, that's... That's pretty serious. The, the, fact that, the fact that they couldn't even get along, they couldn't even fake it, says something about their level of vitriol for their brother, their own kin, their own flesh and blood. So Genesis 37, 5, we'll pick it up. It says, now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. I thought they hated him a lot before. They couldn't even talk to him peacefully, right? But then their hatred level goes to another level. In verse 6 it says, And he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf rose up and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So he tells them this dream. And he said, Hey, I don't really understand this, but here's what this dream is. And they hear it, and they filter his dream through their lens by which they see him. Because they already hate him, so they hear his dream and it makes them hate him even more. Verse 9 says this, Then he dreamed another dream. That's fine, Joseph, just do not tell your brothers. And he told his brothers what he, what he, what he had dreamed, Right? Come on, Joseph, did you not learn anything? They already hate your guts. But he dreams this dream, and he shares his dream with his brothers, and he said this, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. 
Can you imagine the eye rolls that were going on when he said that? Hey guys, I dreamed another dream. Oh my gosh, right? He said, behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow down, uh, bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now it's interesting because we are crafted by God. We are his workmanship is what scripture tells us. Um, and we are an image bearer of God. And God is wildly creative. You might think you're creative, but God can create from scratch, from nothing. He can breathe something into existence. And a little bit of that creativity is in us. A little bit of that, that dreamer is in us. And I think God births us with a dream. He, he puts in us a dream and a desire to see him do something great in us. And if we're not careful, what happens is we'll begin to share that dream with people and we'll begin to tell people, here's what I think maybe God is speaking to me. And it's easy to say that your enemies will try to crush your dreams. That's obvious, right? But what we see here is that some people that were in Joseph's family, his own flesh and blood, said, why are you telling us these dreams? Why do you keep dreaming these dreams? Who do you think you are? You're just the baby of the family. And if we're looking at the context in, in these times, it was a very patriarchal society. So it was, there was a hierarchy. The father was in control. He was in command. He was the boss, right? The, the woman was subservient to the father. But the firstborn had more say in the family than the secondborn. And he had more say than the thirdborn. And so if you were the 12th born, you were a step above a slave, basically. And so when Joseph comes to them and says, I've got this dream, I, I'm going to be in charge. They just said, I don't think so. And they were hateful about it. And then he says the second dream. And his father, who's one of his greatest advocates and supporters, he, he says, who do you think you are? You're the baby of the family. You can't say this stuff. And, and you might be here today. And maybe God has birthed a dream in your heart at some point. Maybe God planted something in you at some point in your life. And you began to share that dream with people and say, you know what, maybe I might feel called to ministry. You know what, I feel like maybe I'm supposed to go on the mission field. You know what, um, I, man, I've, I've come from a background of broken families. Um, you know, my parents were divorced and their parents were divorced. And, and I want to break that cycle. Um, you know what, my family's always been in poverty. I, I've never had a family member in my family go to college. I don't want to go to college. And then some person in your life is going to come along and go, that, that dream's not from God. You, you say you're called to ministry. You can't be called to ministry. I know what your background is. You can't go to college. Nobody in our family's gone to college. You can never break the cycle of poverty in our family. It's just like, it's just the way it is, right? And sometimes it's well-intended people. It's people that don't even hate you. They're just ill-informed. Because this is what happens. Um, typically, in my experience, the people who have the most trouble dreaming are usually the biggest critics of the people who do. So the person who's most critical about your dream that God has planted in your heart is probably the person that lacks the ability to dream in their own life. They lack the vision to see down the road. They lack the vision to be able to see 
what the future may hold. And if we're going to be honest, I think sometimes there's some jealousy there too. That they feel like, well, wait a second. Why do you have a dream for your life? Because I want something for my life. I want, I want better. And Joseph encountered this. He sees this at work. His brothers, they hated him. In fact, they hated him so much, they plotted to kill him. So his brothers went out to work, and um, Jacob sends Joseph to go find his brothers, and they go to a, he goes to where they're supposed to be. They're not there, so then he goes to where they're at. And this is what it says in Genesis 37, 18. It's talking about the brothers. It says, they saw him from afar. So Joseph is coming from a distance. They see him at a distance. And it says, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. I thought my sister wanted to kill me a few times when I was a kid. But this is a whole nother level. Verse 19 says, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. It's interesting, they defined him by his dream. They said, that's all he is, is just a dreamer. Verse 20 says, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. See, the people that are critical of your dream What's going to happen is they're going to try to kill your dream. They're going to tell you all the reasons why your dream can't be fulfilled, why it can't happen, why you can never have that future, why you can never fulfill God's purposes and destinies for your life. They're going to tell you all the reasons why. And then if you still don't listen to them, if they can't kill your dream, they're going to kill you. Now, they're not going to throw you in a pit and leave you for dead, probably. Um, if they are, then you've got the wrong friend set, okay? We need to get you in a small group. So they're not going to kill you. What they're going to do, though, is they're going to kill your character. They're, they're going to say, um, you know what, sister, why don't you, I just need to tell you, I'm so concerned about this person because they are, uh, they're going in this direction, and here's why I'm concerned. And what you're going to do is begin to assassinate the person so that you can kill the dream. Because again, the, dream, the dreamer was defined by their dream. And that's all that the critics saw was this dream. And so if they can't kill your dream, they're going to kill you. They're going to come after you. They're going to say why you're ridiculous for dreaming the dream you did, how you couldn't have heard from God. And they're going to try to build a coalition. That's what happened here. These 11 guys, do you think all 11 of them wanted to kill him? The answer is no, because one of the brothers didn't want to kill him. He said, hey, let's just put him in this pit instead, because in his mind, he was thinking, I can come back later and rescue him from the pit. But what happens is, the critics will build a coalition against the dreamer and say, nope, they're, there's, they're, not, they're not hearing from God. In fact, they're not even godly. And that's what's going to happen in your life when you choose to pursue God's purposes for your life, when you choose to dream a big dream for your life and choose to accept God's dream for your life. Critics are going to come. And they're going to try to kill your dream. They're going to try to kill you. The story doesn't really get any better from here for Joseph. So he's given this incredible dream from God that God's going to put him in a position of authority to lead. And it looks like he's going to lead his family. And his brothers throw him in a pit. And they're going to leave him for dead. And one of the brothers has a bright idea. They said, we're not going to make any money off this if we do this. So why don't we sell him to this band of traders that are coming by, these gypsies. We're going to sell him into slavery and we'll make a little money off of it, right? It's a win-win. 
So they sell him into slavery, and these traders make their way to Egypt, where they again sell him to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was the head of secret service for the Pharaoh, if I can say it like that. He was head or the captain of the royal guard for Pharaoh. And at this time, Egypt was one of the most powerful nations in the world. So here Joseph is. He was basically a prince in his family. And he's sold into slavery. And now he's in slavery in this home in this foreign land. Um, if you want to read the whole story, you can. Um, well, it starts in Genesis 37. It goes on for a while. In Genesis 39... Um, He's working in, in, in Potiphar's home, and he's doing a great job. See, he's favored by God. He's blessed by God because through this whole thing, he's been faithful to God. And so God blesses him and honors him, and everything he does is blessed. And Potiphar is not a godly man, what we see in Scripture, but when he sees someone who's blessed, he recognizes it, and he goes, hey, I'm going to put you in, in charge. You're going to be over my whole household. Great. So this slave has ascended to a place of authority in this household, one day, Potiphar's wife makes an advance toward him, and he resists. She makes advances toward him. She's a little innuendo here and there, a little thing she says. And then one day, he walks into the house, and you see this in, in Genesis 39. He walks into the house, and no one is there except for Potiphar's wife, and she is very direct. Um, there's not really a safe way to say what she is. Uh, my dad used to use a word, it was hussy. Um, and Potiphar's wife was a hussy, okay? Um, if you don't know what that is, ask somebody that's older than you. Um, and so she made his advance toward him, and she actually grabs his clothes and says, come lie with me. And if we're going to be honest, the times we have to guard our hearts against sin the most are, are the times that we feel like we're the victim like we're weak, like we're hurt, like we're sick, like something's wrong. That's the time that we need to be most vigilant in our heart about sin. Because it would have been so easy for Joseph to go, you know what, she's a lovely woman, and you know what, I, I deserve this. God has left me out to dry. I had a dream for my life, and here I am. I deserve this. But he didn't. He resisted. In fact, he resisted so strongly that he fled. And the Bible tells us that he ran and his clothes were left in her hands. Now, does anybody remember Looney Tunes, uh, Bugs Bunny when you were a kid? And um, like something would happen and they'd go like, boom, right? And it would just be a cloud of dust and maybe their clothes left there like hanging in the air. That's what I imagine this moment is like. She grabs him and says, come lie with me. And he goes, right? He takes off and leaves the clothes in her hands. And so she's angry at this point. How, who does he think he is? He's just a slave. So she accuses him of rape. And because he's a slave, and because this is Potiphar's wife, he's convicted. So here he is. He was this prince in his home, sold into slavery. Now he's not even a slave. He's a convicted felon. He's a convicted rapist in prison in Egypt. But again, he's faithful to God, so God blesses him. And he rises in the prison system, and he becomes um, an overseer of other inmates. Can you imagine how crazy this is? Well, yes, you're a convicted rapist, but you're a really nice guy. So we're going to put you in charge of some other people, right? That's ridiculous. But this is God's favorite work. 
And so he has this ability to be able to see and interpret dreams. And so one day these two guys are thrown into prison. It's the cupbearer and the baker for the Pharaoh. And uh, they've had these dreams and they ask Joseph and Joseph interprets the dreams for them. And one of them is good and one of them is not so good. And he says, this is my condition. I'm gonna interpret these dreams for you, but when you get back to Pharaoh, tell him about me. They go, you got it. No problem. So he interprets the one dream for the, for the cupbearer, and he says, hey, cupbearer, guess what? You're gonna be restored to your place of authority. And the baker's excited. He's like, all right, let me tell you my dream. And he tells him his dream, and he goes, bad news, friend. You're gonna die. And sure enough, it comes to pass. The cupbearer's restored to his place, but if you look at scripture in verse 23 of Genesis 40, it says that he forgot all about Joseph. So the one hope Joseph had for getting out of this position seemingly was lost. So Joseph is this young man. He's been given a dream from God and then he spends the next 15 or 16 years toiling away in slavery and in prison. He's given this dream. He's given this dream from God, believing that God's gonna put him in a place of influence and authority. And then he spends the next 15 or 16 years toiling away, seemingly wasting his life. A couple of weeks ago, uh, when Frank Reich was here, I asked him the question. I said, Frank, you've led two of the greatest comebacks in football history. What were the things that those two comebacks had in common? And he said there were three things. And if you weren't here, I'm going to hit those real quickly with you. The first one was, he said, you just got to believe. He said, when you need a comeback, he said, every comeback I was part of, we just believed somewhere inside of us that we could see a comeback happen. We believed that it was possible, and we just decided we were going to do it. And you have to ask, was Joseph, was he just full of faith this whole time? Because if he was human, he had to at some point say, God, have you forgotten about me? Do you even see where I'm at? Do you remember the dream that you placed in my heart? And do you see where I'm at today? Like something doesn't add up, right? And haven't we all been there at some point in our life? We've said, God, I thought you had promises for my life. I thought you were a good God. But do you see where I'm at? Do you see the pain I'm in? Do you see the hurt? Do you see the turmoil? Do you see the failure? This doesn't add up. Because Joseph's human. But Joseph believed. See, it doesn't say explicitly that he never lost his faith. It doesn't ever say explicitly through a monologue or a dialogue that he never lost his faith. But we see through his actions that he continued to trust God, even in the worst moments of his life. The, the song we sang at the very end of our worship set, um, it's the chorus it says, With everything I will shout for your glory. And what that means is, when things are great, I'm going to shout for your glory. But when things are bad, I'm still going to shout for your glory. When I get the promotion, I'm going to shout for your glory. When I lose my job, I'm going to shout for your glory. When my kids are healthy and happy and my family's good, I'm going to shout for your glory. But God, when people are sick in my family, when relationships are strained, when things are hard, I'm still gonna shout for your glory because that's what faithfulness does. See, when we get to heaven someday, uh, God's not gonna say to us, well done, good and successful servant. He's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's just asking us to be faithful to what he's asking us to do. 
We just have to keep believing. The second thing Frank said was we, he surrounds your, they surrounded themselves with the right people, the right team. And that's what we have to do as well. When we see we need a comeback, we have to surround ourselves with the right teammates, with the right people. See, one of the problems in our life is uh, you have people who are gonna tell you your dreams are possible and you have people in your life who are gonna tell you your dreams are impossible. And the, the reality is you get to decide who's right. It's up to you. You get to surround yourself with the people that are going to say, yeah, I'm going to believe with you for that. Man, that seems like a big thing, but, but God can do it, so I'm going to believe with you. Or you can surround yourself with the naysayers who go, that's impossible. Why would you ever think that? Why would you ever dream that? You have to surround yourself with the right team. The right team begins with a relationship with God. The passage says, if God is for us, who can be against us? <laughs> The old saying in the church, God plus me makes a majority, right? It doesn't matter what the world says. In fact, Scripture says all men will be liars, but God will be called true. Surround yourself with the right people. The people in this body who are going to agree with you and believe for you and help you and come alongside you. That's what, what it means to surround yourself with the right people. And the third thing he says was take it one play at a time. He said, one play at a time. When we were down 35 points in the, in the AFC playoffs, we just had to take one play at a time. If we tried to make it up all at once, we're going to be in trouble. So we just did what we needed to do with every play. And that goes back to that idea of being faithful. We're just going to take a step and trust God and see what he's going to do. See, one of the things that's interesting about Joseph's story, this was a man that was given a dream by God that he was seemingly not seeing fulfilled in his life. And yet when he's in prison at one of the worst moments of his life, God is asking him to help people with their dreams. This is incredible to me because many of us, if somebody came to us and said, hey, uh, I've got a dream for my life. Can you help me interpret it? We're going to go, I don't think so. Because I'm a little ticked that my dream hasn't come to pass. My dream has not been fulfilled the way I thought it should in the timing, in the way. Um, I thought it'd be further along by now, so let's be honest, I'm a little bit ticked off at God. So no, I'm not going to help you with your dream. But Joseph didn't do that. He said, come, come here, tell me about your dream. Hey, and if you can, help me get out of here, that'd be great. But yeah, let me help you figure your dream out for your life. That's what faithfulness is. Saying, hey, I'm going to help you. I'm going to come alongside you, even if it doesn't benefit me. He didn't try to stop other people's dream just because his dream wasn't coming to pass the way he thought it should or the, thought, the way he thought it would. See, we have a choice when we go through downturns or layoffs or failure or whatever it might be. We have a choice to make. We can be bitter about it because bitterness is a choice. No one falls into bitterness. Bitterness is a choice we make. And so it's just as easy to choose faithfulness as it is bitterness. It's just as easy to say, God, I don't understand the circumstances of my life, but I know you are good and I trust you because God is good and he is faithful. A while later, King uh, the Pharaoh had this dream and he couldn't interpret it. He didn't know what it meant. So he calls on, um, he, he's asking his, the people around him and the cupbearer says, hey, I know this guy, this Hebrew, he's, in prison. Oh yeah, I was supposed to tell you about him. 
So Pharaoh calls for Joseph and Joseph interprets this dream and he's telling him about there's gonna be seven years of plenty and then there's gonna be a famine and here's how you prepare for the famine and here's what you do. And he lays out a system and he makes it perfect. And in Genesis 41, 38, it says, and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom, the, in, in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as, re- in re- I'm sorry, only as regard the throne will I be greater than you. So he's putting Joseph in second in command, basically, over one of the most powerful nations in the world. And you could look at this and go, oh, he experienced a comeback in his dream. But that's not even true because his dream couldn't even line up with how big God's dream was for his life. See, in his dream... His dream was, my, my family is going to bow down to me. But God's dream for him said, no, the nations will bow down before you. See, I think sometimes in our lives we dream too small. One of our core values is big faith. We're going to believe big things. And we're going to believe God to, to do big things. And we're never going to insult God with small thinking or small living because our God is a God that does big things. He exceeds our wildest expectations and imagination. That's what he does. And he exceeded Joseph's dreams beyond what he could ever imagine. But this is one thing you have to understand too. Those 15 plus years that he spent in slavery and prison weren't wasted time. It was a master's level course in humility and faithfulness and trust. And the time spent developing those characteristics in prison are the things that made it possible for him to lead a nation. You may be here today and you're going, no, I need to come back man, I need to come back in my marriage. I need to come back in my finances. I need to come back so bad. I can't even begin to tell you the story. It's so difficult. I understand that. You look at the time you're in right now, it feels like prison a little bit, and you go, why would God let me be here? And I'm telling you, maybe God wants to use this season to develop you and grow you and shape you to prepare you for the dream that you haven't even dreamed yet. Maybe God wants to position you in a place to prepare you. Because if, if God would have given Joseph's dream to him when he was 15 years old, you think he would have handled that well? No. He, he, was, he was a little bit petulant. He was kind of a child. And God developed him and grew him through those circumstances to shape him into the man he needed to be for that dream to be fulfilled in his life. So if you're here today and you're struggling in a season, I'm telling you, it's just a season. God's preparing you for a comeback. God wants to see those dreams that you thought were dead and gone resurrected. And he's not only going to resurrect a dream, he's going to give you a dream that's better than you could have ever imagined in the first place. So I know you love homework. I'm going to give you some homework. If you want to read the rest of the story, uh, do anybody remember Paul Harvey? (laughs) The, The old people remember Paul Harvey. Okay, there's this guy named Paul Harvey, and he used to sign off. He would tell these stories, and he'd say, and that's the rest of the story. So if you want to know the rest of the story, because it's pretty incredible, you can read in Genesis 42 through 45 the rest of Joseph's story. It really is incredible. There's a passage in Philippians 1, 6. It says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
Now, what we're seeing here, what this passage is talking about is not dreams. What it's talking about is maturity in Christ. So what Paul is telling the Philippian church is, as as God begins to mature us, he's going to continue to mature us, but we're never going to be fully mature or perfected until we're in heaven in front of Jesus Christ, face to face with Christ. So I don't want to use this out of context, but what I think we can see here is this passage is evidence that God finishes what he starts. And so if you're here today and God has planted a dream in your heart, maybe he planted a dream in your heart a long time ago. Maybe, maybe God planted a dream in your heart to be in ministry, to pursue a call of God on your life. Maybe, maybe God called you to missions, the foreign mission field a long time ago, and you laid that down. I want you to know something. God's not through with you yet. God, God's still got a purpose and a plan for you. If God has started something, he will finish something. If we trust him, if we're faithful. Maybe you're here and your marriage started off really well. It was healthy. It was exactly what you wanted it to be. But you're sitting here today going, man, my marriage is a mess. I want you to know something. God can finish what he started. If you'll trust him, if you'll be faithful to him, he can do it. He wants you to have a comeback in your dreams and in your aspirations. He doesn't want you to lay those down and walk away from them. Acts 2.17 Um, It says this, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Maybe you're here today and you feel like life has passed you by, like you've missed your chance, you're too too old, you've got too much mileage, You're, you're done. I'm telling you, you're not done. If you still have breath in your lungs, God's got a purpose for your life. God is not through with you yet. God wants you to experience a comeback in your dreams. There was a guy named T.E. Lawrence. Uh, His life was the basis for the movie Lawrence of Arabia, which is an incredible film. Um, But T.E. Lawrence said this. He said, all men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by uh, by night in the dusty recesses of their minds wake in the day to find it was vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men, for they may act on their dreams with eyes open wide to make them possible. And that's my prayer for us today. My prayer for us is that the dreams that God has planted in us would be a dream that would come to fruition because we don't give up on it, because we pursue it, because we are faithful to what God's called us to do. And then he makes it happen in our lives. I pray that we would be people who would dream with open eyes about what God's got for us. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we're grateful for everything you're doing in our lives. I pray your blessing on us today. God, help us to have a dream rekindled in our heart, God. Lord, I pray that you renew passion in us for your plans and purposes, God. I pray that we would not be satisfied with anything in this world, God. I pray that you would be the only thing that can satisfy us. So God, I pray for people here who have laid down dreams and visions and passions and directions for their life. God, I pray that they wouldn't be satisfied until they discover everything that you've got for them. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm not following God, I'm not in a relationship with Jesus, but I want to be. The truth is, um, he is the dream giver. Maybe you're here and you're not experiencing a dream for your life. A God-given dream. It begins with a relationship with him. And if you're here today, you're not in a relationship with him. I want to give you an opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I just want to pray with you right where you're at. So if you're here and you say, Mel, pray with me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. I, I, I need a dream from the dream giver. If that's you, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? And you can put your hand right back down. Thanks, buddy. I see you over here on my right. 
Thank you. Back by the camera. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Up in the balcony on my right. Thank you, sir. Over here in the center section, I see you. Praise God. Thank you up here. Center section, I see you, buddy. Praise the Lord. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? I want every person in this place to repeat this prayer with me out loud. Say this out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and thank you for saving me and paying the price for all my sins on the cross. Today, I confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. I need a dream for my life and you're the only one who can give it to me. So help me follow you and your ways and your plan for my life. And let my life bring glory to you and point people back to you. I love you and I thank you for saving me and choosing me. Today, I choose you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Hey, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I would love for you to take another step. We want to help you in your faith journey. And the way you can do that is by filling this card out. On the one side of the card, it says, need prayer. On the other side, it says salvation. It's in the seat back in front of you. Take this out, fill out the side that says salvation and drop in one of our offering boxes before you leave today. Let us know about your decision. If you're watching online or maybe you're here in the room and you'd rather text us your information, you can do that. Simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're gonna respond back to you and help you take the next step in your faith journey. This is what's going to happen right now. Our worship team is going to lead us in a final song. And while they're doing that, our prayer team is available on either side of the stage. They're going to come up and be in place. And if you need prayer for any reason, find one of our prayer team members and let them agree with you in prayer. And then in just a moment, when we're done singing, Steph McCoy is our missions director. She's going to come and close us out and uh, dismiss us. So why don't you stand to your feet all over the room? We're going to worship together one more time and go after God. Guys, I want you to know, I love you more than you know. And I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you.